You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. School shootings, violent wars, sickness, rampant crime, political turmoil, social strife. Debilitating addictions, disease, financial struggle, a directionless and confused next generation, sudden tragedy. Unexplained suffering, family brokenness, societal chaos, soul suffocating anxiety, heartbreaking death. This is the world that you and I are living in. And it's not easy. In fact, it's very difficult. And if we're all honest with one another, we might admit that sometimes it can all feel a bit hopeless. The question becomes, is there hope that will give me the wherewithal to keep on keeping on? Is there something to look forward to? Is there a bigger picture that makes sense of all of The chaos. Well, the good news is this. The answer is yes. God has a message of hope as we walk through seemingly hopelessness. And I want to direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we look at this message of hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll begin reading in verse 20. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. I'm going to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We've been celebrating that all service long. Marvelous music. Lifting up the reality that Christ has been risen from the dead. And that, that's got to mean something for you and for me. And Paul goes on to say that he, Christ, is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather around your word. Lord, to come with expectancy, knowing that you have a message for your people. And I pray, Lord, that as we study your word, the power of the Holy Spirit would move in our midst, that our eyes might be opened, that we might see clearly the truths of Scripture, and that we might be moved powerfully to respond to those truths. Have your way in this place. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In the section of Scripture immediately preceding the passage we read, Paul embarks on a thought experiment. And the thought experiment is this. What if Christ came to this earth, died a violent death on the cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and he never came back to life? What if Jesus died and stayed dead? And in that passage, verses 12 through 19, Paul basically says, all that we're doing is in vain. If Jesus is still in the grave, all we're doing is vain. Our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. And he even says that instead of having hope, if Jesus is still in the grave, we as people who name the name of Christ should be pitied. Because we're just going through the motions of religiosity. We're just wasting our time if Christ is still in the tomb. And that's when the chapter turns on verse 20. When Paul writes, But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
You see, if Christ had never been resurrected, then there is no hope. This life with all of its troubles is all that there is. But if Christ has been raised, if the resurrection is real, then the exact opposite is true. We have amazing hope that buoys us and carries us through this life. So what I want to do is I want to just look back at the text. And I want to lift from this passage Four reasons that you and I can live with hope. Yes, in this world, this crazy world, we're going to see four reasons that we can have hope. Reason number one, the hope of return. The hope of return. Look what it says there in verse 23. He speaks of Christ being the first fruits of the resurrection, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But he says, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, Christ raised from the dead, glorified, incorruptible, imperishable, a brand new body. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So he's saying, Christ is raised first, and in like manner, those who know him will be raised. And when will this happen? It says... When he returns. It says, when he comes. The Bible teaches that God, because of his great love for you and me, sent his only son to this earth. Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity, left the splendor and glory and unceasing worship of heaven and took on the frailty and limitations of human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And when he was born of Mary, he was born the God-man, fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man. And Jesus, as the God-man, grew in wisdom and favor and stature, and he lived a perfect, matchless life. Jesus was spotless. He had a perfect record. He never sinned. He never thought a wrong thought, said a wrong word, performed a wrong action. Jesus was perfect, perfect in his attitude, perfect in his motivations, perfect in everything. Jesus Christ was without sin. But because of his obedience to the Father and because of his love for you and for me, Jesus Christ chose to embrace an old rugged cross. And on the cross, the Bible says, he became sin for us. He took all of your sin all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your impurity on himself. And he took all of my sin, guilt, shame, and impurity upon himself. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. The Bible says that he was our propitiatory sacrifice. That means that he took all of God's wrath on himself, all of our punishment, so that we would not have to face God's wrath for our sin. The wrath that we deserve. He died on the cross. He was taken off the cross. He was buried in the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. Who identified with him at that moment in his life. And early on the third day. Early on Sunday morning. Jesus Christ rose from 
the grave. He defeated sin at the cross. He defeated death when he walked out of his tomb. And then he appeared to hundreds of people over a period of weeks. And then, after he gave some final instructions to his disciples, the Bible says that he ascended back to the Father. They were there with Jesus on a mountain, and all of a sudden he started going up into the air. He was ascending until they lost sight of him. And as the disciples are standing there looking up, an angel says, Why are you standing there looking up? He gave you some instructions. Go get busy. Be witnesses of the risen Christ. Because just like he left, listen, he will return. He will come again on the clouds. And the disciples went and got busy sharing the gospel, being witnesses of Christ. And even today, As we bear witness to Christ, we are waiting for that moment when Jesus Christ will come again. Now here's what that means. In the midst of all of the the, the chaos and confusion and hardship and trials and tribulations, here's what that means. Christ has not forgotten about us. He's not forgotten about us. He knows exactly what we're going through. And one day, He will return to set everything right. That time is coming. So there's hope. There's hope. This world is not all that there is. One day, Jesus Christ will come and set up His kingdom on this earth. And He will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. He'll put aside all of the the injustice and pain and trial. And He'll set everything right. We can have hope. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we do know what's going to happen. The hope of return. Secondly, not only is there the hope of return, there's the hope of resurrection. The hope of resurrection. It says there in verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The phrase fallen asleep speaks of those who have died in Christ, those who have passed away but they know Jesus. It's a euphemism for death. He says, For as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and that is coming. Those who belong to Christ. Many of our troubles, listen to me, are are directly linked to our human frailty, aren't they? Our bodies are just wearing out. Let me bless you with this on Easter Sunday morning. We're one day closer to our death than we were yesterday. Right? Right? That's the reality. And it's directly linked to our frailty as humans. He mentions here that in Adam all die. What he's referring to there is this. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve disobey God. They do what God's told them not to do. And at that moment, sin enters the world and begins to corrupt the created order, including humanity. 
And because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because sin entered the world, that's why we have death and disease and decay and mortality. In Adam, all die. But Jesus brought about the great reversal when he... When he reversed the natural order of death by rising from the grave. You see, Jesus' resurrection is the pattern for our resurrection. It says there he is the first fruits. That word there is a, is a Greek word, a parquet. It's interesting. The ESV study Bible says this about the word first fruits. It refers to a first sample of an agricultural crop that indicates the nature and quality of the rest of the crop. Therefore, Christ's resurrection body gives a foretaste of what those of believers will be like. So Jesus was raised from the dead with a brand new glorified body. And because he is the first fruits, when we are raised from the dead, when he returns, when our bodies come out of the grave, we'll have brand new glorified, incorruptible, perfect bodies. We will be raised with brand new bodies. Imagine that. The Bible is very clear. When someone who is a Christian dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment someone dies, their spirit goes directly into the presence of King Jesus. But when Jesus returns, he will raise their bodies from the dust. And at that moment, their their new body and their spirit will be reunited. And all who have those new bodies, those new glorified bodies, will live in those bodies forever and ever and ever, enjoying and exploring the wonders of the new heavens and the new earth in the presence of King Jesus. Wow! That's what's coming. And it's guaranteed because Jesus is the first fruits. When he rose from the grave, he was saying, This is coming for you too if you know me. The English poet George Herbert says it like this. I love this quote. Death used to be an executioner. But the resurrection of Christ makes him nothing but a gardener. When he tries to bury you, he's really planting you, and you're going to come up better than before. Isn't that good? All death does for the Christians is it plants us in the ground. One day, our bodies will come up better than the bodies we are buried with. Hallelujah, what a Savior. So there's the hope of return, and there's the hope of resurrection. And third, very quickly, the hope of eradication, eradication. Look what it says there in verse 24. He's going to come back. Raise the bodies of those who belong to him. Brand new glorified bodies. In verse 24 says, Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. He's going to set up his rule and reign on this earth. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Now look at verse 26. And the last enemy 
to be destroyed is death. Hey, everybody look at me for a moment. Death is our common enemy, right? I remember one time I was listening to the radio and they were uh, publicizing a fundraiser for a, a disease. I can't remember exactly what the disease was, but it was something, it was referred to as like the leading cause of death for a certain age group of people. And I began to think about that, the leading cause of death. And they're saying, be a part of this fundraiser, raise money for research so we can put an end to the leading cause of death. And I thought, you know, if they, if they figure this out, and this disease is no longer the leading cause of death, there's going to be a new number one. And if they figure that one out, there's going to be another number one. And on and on and on. Because no matter how much we figure out with scientific advancement, death is still a reality for all of our lives. And the Bible says the last enemy that Jesus will destroy is death. You see, his resurrection highlights his power to abolish death because he defeated the grave. He can overthrow death itself. What can a dead man do about death? The answer is nothing, but Christ is alive. Jesus' exaltation highlights his authority to abolish death. He's been given the kingdom to rule and reign over the universe. And he has the authority to abolish death. Death. Here's what that means. And this is so good. This is such good news. We don't have to live with the threat of death and dying always hovering over us, do we? We don't have to wring our hands in fear. We don't have to be filled with anxiety. We don't have to worry because death does not have the final say. It's a defeated foe. And when we all get to heaven... And we gather around Jesus, we will know at that moment that none of us will give a second thought to death ever again. That's the power of the resurrection. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5, when the Apostle John sees the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth, he writes... I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Just this past week at our church, we had three precious church members' funerals. Tears shed, sadness. We're grateful that they know Christ and there's a future and a hope. But it's still hard when you lose someone that you love. And this passage says there's coming a time where death and mourning will be no more. Why? Because the one seated on the throne says this, Behold, I am making all things new. 
How can we have hope in this crazy world? Well, there's the hope of return and there's the hope of resurrection. There's the hope of eradication. Death will be no more. But, but fourth and last, there is the hope of reunion. Look what it says back in verse 22. For as in Adam all die. In other words, if you're human, death is a reality for your life. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. If you know Jesus, there's hope beyond the grave. There's eternal and abundant life for you. Then it says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming. Look at this phrase. Those who belong to Christ. Who has this hope of return and resurrection and eradication? Those who belong to Christ. This hope is not for everyone. This hope is only for those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The promises of forgiveness and resurrection and eternal life in heaven are only for those who know Christ. There's not a universal salvation. There's only one way to be saved. And Jesus said it like this in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These promises that give you the wherewithal to keep on keeping on in this world, to have the, the perspective to, 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 to buoy you and carry you through this, this life, are only for those who know Christ, only for those who are born again, only for those who are saved. But know this, and this is in your notes. All who are born again will experience Jesus together. There's coming a day When there will be a great reunion that takes place around the throne of King Jesus. And everyone who knows Christ will be there. Remember when I was a young boy in the early 80s, my parents hosted a family reunion. Humphrey's family reunion in our home in in Perry. And we had family come in from all over. Mainly, it was the family of my grandfather's brothers and his one sister. He had five brothers and one sister. There were seven kids all together, my grandpa's family. And I remember that reunion fondly. There were people everywhere in our, in our yard around our house. I remember dad had this big bag of oysters and he was putting them on the grill and as fast as he could open them and get them ready, people would come and eat oysters right off the grill. And I remember playing catch with my great uncle Cecil. He played some semi-pro ball when he was, uh, ball when he was younger and he was showing me how to throw a curveball. And I remember there inside of my house throwing a curveball to my uncle Cecil. 
To me, my grandpa's brothers, my great uncles were larger than life. A couple of them fought in World War II. Several of them fought in the Korean War. And they were characters. And I just loved being around them. And I, I remember those days like they were yesterday. My Uncle Irie, he married a lady from Louisiana, a Cajun lady. She'd always bring red beans and rice and gumbo to the reunion. Can I get a witness? And I remember, man, I remember that reunion. But there was, there was a commonality that brought us together. Everyone there traced their lineage to my great-grandfather, Eugene Humphreys, and his wife, Susan Della Brooks Humphreys. They're in South Georgia. We're all there because we were connected to great-grandpa Eugene and great-grandma Susan. In heaven, when there is a great reunion, there will be commonality among those that are there. All those who are there will be connected by faith. To Jesus Christ. That's why the old hymn says it so beautifully. When we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing. That will be. I'm not trying to be overly sentimental or sappy. You know me better than that. I'm just that's not who I am. I want to see my mom again. Cancer took her in 2011. My youngest son, Connor, was talking to my wife this week about my mom, what she was like. I'll see her again. And your saved loved ones, you'll see them again. And that will be an amazing day. As we experience Jesus together. But notice this promise, this hope of eternity in heaven is only for those that belong to Jesus. I've been singing this hymn all week. I was singing it this morning. Claire started singing it with me. The words go like this. Once I was lost in sin's degradation. Jesus came down to bring me salvation. Lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. And so my very pointed and direct question for you this morning is this. Do you belong to Jesus? 
Do you know that you know that you know that you know that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven? Do you know that one day your body will be raised, glorified, incorruptible? Do you know one day you'll be reunited with your saved loved ones? Do you have that assurance? Are you saved? Do you belong to Jesus? And I know that's a pointed question and a a very direct question. But I ask you that question because I love you. And I ask you that question more importantly because Jesus loves you. And he wants you to have that assurance, that hope that carries you through. This storm-tossed life. If Jesus is returning, there is hope. If our bodies will be raised, there's hope. If death will be destroyed, there is hope. If we will see our saved loved ones again, there is hope. If the tomb is empty, and if the throne is occupied, there is hope. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.